we are in the midst of our sermon series called Give Church a Second Chance. We're going to talk about a little bit about healing, how the church was a hospital last week, and this week we have a different focus. For some of you who are avid TV watchers and maybe of a certain age and vintage, you'll remember the show Cheers, which had a good run from 1982 to 1993. And perhaps the most popular part of that show was actually the song that, that sang at the beginning. And it went something like this. Well, Don't worry, I'm just going to read the lyrics. I'm not going to sing it for you. I'll just read the lyrics. You have to imagine the melody in your head. Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see, ah, ah, our troubles are all the same. Ah, ah, you want to be where everybody knows your name. I was... Those are the lyrics. That's what, that's what I copied and pasted in. It hits on this deep truth that everyone is looking for a place to belong. A place where, in some fashion, literally or figuratively, everybody knows your name. And this isn't just for those who are outgoing. I'm looking at you introverts, all of you still online watching on the live stream, and you might figure, I don't really need people. I'm pretty good on my own. I like my anonymity. But regardless of whether you are naturally outgoing or an introvert, something like me, the, the, the truth is we all need connection. We all need a place to belong. And so because this is a universal need, people will search for this type of connection in many different places. It could be like bars, like cheers, where everyone can go and then they know their name. Others will look for this type of community in their neighborhoods and those who are located around them and get to know them and be connected to them. It could be clubs of some sort where you're gathered around this common interest or hobby It could be sports where you play sports or maybe even youth sports where you're there all the time and you really get to know the other parents that are in the same boat as you. It could be school friends or school groups and extracurricular activities, you name it. There are opportunities for connection and community all around us because we need this to be true. But for those who follow Christ, there is only one place that offers spiritual community in its fullest. Not just shared interests, but a common bond of faith in Jesus Christ. And that place is the church. Which is why the Bible uses the term family to describe the church. There is something more uh, deeper and more fully uh, committed that, that comes to having this bond of being a church family. We are truly brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not just a matter of convenience or common interest. It is something more substantial than that. And being a spiritual family is, again, an important part of our mission statement here at Stony Brook Fellowship. But our goal, as always, is not to write down a nice mission statement or be reminded about this statement from the front, but it is to lean into and live into this truth to make sure it is a reality. So the church is a spiritual family. But just like all families, unfortunately, church community can operate as a dysfunctional family. There's nothing about it being family that means it's going to be carefree and problem-free and perfect. We all know from experience this is not true. And when community sours, you can feel abandoned, marginalized, and alone. Sometimes, sometimes, the place that God designed for community can leave you feeling lonely. And what do you do when that happens? Should you 
as a Christian? Or, or should you give up on the Christian community in the church? Should you say, I've tried that, it doesn't work, I need to do something else? I think the answer is no. I truly believe that Scripture holds encouragement on why it is important for all of us to give church a second chance, even if we feel like we've been alone for a long time in the family of faith. Before we go any further, I just invite you to to pray with me as we ask God's blessing on this time in particular. Heavenly Father, I just want to start by acknowledging that all of us who are here have come from different weeks and years and, and a lifetime of experiences, and that includes different church experiences in the past. And I pray that you would just meet us where we are at, that your spirit would be here to guide us into truth, that we in turn would just open ourselves in humility to learn from you and from your word. God, I pray that as we learn to seek to learn all that you have in mind for Christian community, that you would also, by your power of your spirit, allow us to live this out in as close a way as we can here at Stony Brook Fellowship. This time that we have to learn is dedicated to you. We pray this in your name. Amen. So again, as always, we're going to look to God's word to have the, the first and final say in why we should give church a second chance, even if we felt alone before. And, and there's an argument that's made in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 4. This is a passage that, if you've been to a number of Christian weddings, you very well may have heard this preached at a wedding before. I think I have probably done it a time or two as a message. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 12, makes the, the, the statement that we are better to be, together. Community and companionship are needed on the journey of life, and two are better than one. So let's read this and hear what the Word of God has to say. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. And so at face value, the message is given to us right at the beginning of this passage. Two are better than one. And simple math tells us that this is true. But do we always act like it is true in terms of relationships? Because as we look at our society, we have to acknowledge in the studies that are being done that loneliness is becoming an epidemic. And many people are finding out the hard way that a lack of companionship can have some dire consequences. One of the projects I've been involved in in the last number of months is the Armchair Anabaptist podcast, which is a a podcast done by our denomination, the EMC. And I'm trying to trying to get my feet wet here and co-host the second season. And our overarching theme for season two is that of community. And I've really been encouraged in interviewing some amazing guests for this season. And one guest was a pastor by the name of Megan Good. And she is a Mennonite pastor in the Phoenix area. And I didn't know there was Mennonite churches in Phoenix. Uh, So I was encouraged by that. And she has been doing some in-depth study on loneliness as part of her own research into her writing, her blog, and maybe even a book. And here are some of the stats that she shared with me. She said that 47% of adults say that they often feel alone. Just about 50%. That's almost half, like one out of two, 47%. She also went on to say that 35% of Americans over the age 45 say they feel perpetually lonely. Not just sometimes, but all the time. 
And I do believe, while that study is American, that we would find the same to be true here in Canada. So that is a sobering statistic, or those two numbers are. But then listen to how dire some of the consequences can be of loneliness. Studies have shown that loneliness has the equivalent health impact of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. 15 cigarettes a day. Social disconnection increases the rate of death by 29%. 29. So when we say we are better together, this is physiologically in how we've been created and designed. It is a true fact. And we can find out in, in a positive way when we're connected to one another, or we can find out the hard way. And, and loneliness is sweeping across our culture. And it has dire consequences. In fact, it's not even that much of an exaggeration to say that loneliness could be a matter of life or death for some people, given the stats that we learned together. And so the author of Ecclesiastes has known this for a long time, and he uses an example of a journey to make his point that two are indeed better than one. Two are better than one because we're going on this journey, and when you are walking on this journey during travel, if you fall, someone can pick you up. Or when you have inclement weather on this journey and there's a cold night on the road when you're not at home, then someone can help keep you warm. And then when you're traveling and all of a sudden someone ambushes you and wants to rob you, then there is someone else there to help defend you. These are all journey-related analogies used in Ecclesiastes. And, and that's good because we often talk about life as a journey. Though maybe today we have to work a bit harder to understand journey from this ancient perspective of having to walk everywhere. You know, I think of journey, I think of driving to the airport and then flying on a plane. The analogy breaks down a bit. So maybe we need to have in our minds this analogy of a grueling hike. My wife Karen and I had a few of our good friends, this couple, go and uh, hike the West Coast Trail. And so they got back and they were telling us all these stories of all the ladders they had to climb and all the terrible weather they experienced and all the hardships that they had and how many people need to get airlifted from the trail around them. And I just had one question for them. Why? Why? You know that, we know you have cars, right? Like, you know you don't have to walk everywhere. Like, why would you voluntarily pay money? And then I went onto the website for the West Coast Trail. They're supposed to drum up business, and this is what they describe the experience as. The West Coast Trail is an iconic backcountry multi-day backpacking trail that is a bucket list challenge for many hikers. It is an experience that can bring even the most experienced hikers to their knees. Those who are well-prepared, physically, mentally, and equipment-wise, come away with tales of grit. Hikers climb more than 100 ladders with a heavy pack, trudge through deep mud, wade through mountain-fed rivers and fast-flowing hip-deep waters, and push through whatever weather the wild West Coast delivers, often driving wind and rain. Well, sign me up. I was going to go to Mexico in winter, but instead, I want to go to the West Coast Trail. It's not for me. I'm too soft for this. But they had some amazing pictures. But I also found some amazing pictures on Google. Anyway, it's fine. (laughs) But we need to have in mind what a journey looks like. And in fact, a grueling journey like that's appropriate. Because when we really unpack what the author of Ecclesiastes is saying, he's not just saying you need companionship when you travel or when you journey. You need a companion when things are really difficult, when the going is tough when something is not going the way that you want to. All three of these examples are how 
Companions are helpful in time of need. You're traveling on your own is great, but what happens if you fall and hurt yourself and can't get up? You need somebody there when that accident happens to make sure you stay healthy and safe. Or when the weather turns against you and hypothermia might be setting in, you need another warm body there to help keep you warm and healthy and safe. Or when you're ambushed and beset by robbers who will not only steal from you, but perhaps even beat you to within an inch of your life, you need someone to watch your back and defend you when you are under attack. It's not just the journey, it's the hardship of the journey in which companionship is vital and crucial. And of course, these are all analogies for the journey of life. But the principle remains the same. You and I, we need community. We need it. We have to have it when we are going through trials and hard times. And when life is good, and things are going well, and it's easy to meet our goals, and and we're just humming along, and everything is the way we want it to be, it is easy to deceive ourselves to think that we can make it on our own. But there will come a time in your life, whether it's happening right now, or whether there's a time in your past, or whether there's a time in your future, there will come a time when you need to rely on other people around you. You need to rely on them. And then at the end of this passage we read together in Ecclesiastes 4, Verse 9, we saw this example here now of how two are better than one. And at the very end, there's this phrase, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Now again, if you've been thinking about this passage in terms of having heard it preached at a wedding, what is the application that almost all the preachers use? They say, wow, this is, you want two are better than one, so this marriage union will be good for you. And then the the third cord has got to be God, and you just invite God into your marriage. Now let me tell you, church, Inviting God into your marriage is a good idea, but it has absolutely nothing to do with what the author of Ecclesiastes is talking about here. So it's not a very good interpretation of the passage. There's something much more specific that's happening here. It's using a common Old Testament formula, what we call a number proverb, to make a point of how the more friends you have, the better. And this common Old Testament formula or number proverb goes like this. It goes X and then X plus one. You're saying, Pastor, this sounds like math. What are you doing here? Hang with me. X and then X plus one. It is math. But let's go to Amos 1 verse 3 and see another example of this number proverb being put to use. Amos 1 verse 3. I've got to find it too. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they have threshed Gilead with threshing sledges of iron. For three transgressions and for four. And so what happens is that the author is using this for dramatic effect. They have one number and then a second number, and that indicates uh, something to full measure in fullness or completeness. And so it's not about the specific number. It's about what these numbers represent, something taken to full measure. And so in Ecclesiastes, the Bible is teaching us that when it comes to companionship and community, the more, the merrier. Two are better than one. Three is better than two. Taken to full and complete measure, the more quality people we have in our lives, the better off we will be. And while you may have good Christian friends and family outside the church, the church remains a unique setting where we can have both quality and quantity of community around us. We can have hundreds of people that are truly family for us here in the church. Yet, of course, it's not just enough to come to church. 
It's not just enough to gather here and say, well, now somehow automatically or magically we're family and I have everything I need. No, community like this that's, that's better doesn't happen by accident. It has to be purposeful. You can be in a crowd. You can go to church and you can feel alone. I think it's really actually, there's a unique loneliness when you're in a crowd. In between my grades 10 and 11 years of high school, uh, we moved communities. We moved from Dallas to Airdrie, Alberta, just outside Calgary. And I still remember going to school, that first day of school in Airdrie, and I went into the gym where we were going to have our opening uh, assembly. And there was over 850 students there, plus staff and faculty, and I did not know or recognize one single person. Hundreds of people. And that was one of the loneliest moments I can ever imagine. And so you can come to church and you could be in a crowd and you can be lost in a crowd and you can be extremely lonely. It's not enough just to be here. We need to intentionally build community. It doesn't happen by accident. I want to draw your attention to Romans chapter 12. This is a passage that that Paul is is writing to the church in Rome and, and it's hard to maybe even pull out a a specific theme. What he's doing here is is trying to give all of these different marks of a true Christian. It's almost like he's he's making point after point. Boom, boom, boom. And and in Romans 12, 9 to 18, I want to read this for you, and I've highlighted a few of these marks of a true Christian that I think are valuable for us to intentionally create the community that God desires in the church. So again, Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And I love this one because verse 18 has as many qualifications as as it can. (laughs) If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. This is our goal. If possible, as far as it is up to you, live peaceably with all. So what are some of these highlights we can take from Romans 12 that I believe are, are crucial to helping us be intentional in building a community that, that honors God and honors each other? Well, I'll start with the very beginning of verse 9. Let your love be genuine. This is hugely important. Real community can't be faked. Our love for one another must be genuine. We can't just pretend to do this. We can't just do this at a surface level. It has to dig down into who we actually are and how we actually care for the other person. A year or so ago, I heard some different sounds coming from my son Malachi as he was doing his watching time, and it sounded like a different show. So I went up to him and said, hey, what are you watching? And he says, I'm watching a show called Is It Cake? I'm like, okay, so tell me about this show. He's like, well... These people bake cakes that are made to look like a real thing, and then people have to decide whether or not it's the thing or is it cake. I'm like, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. And then I sat down and watched the whole episode with him. (laughs) Is it cake? And I was actually fascinated because they do a pretty good job of making the outside of these objects look like the genuine article. So in fact, we're going to play a little bit of is it cake here today. Just not, not, I don't have any cake. I just have pictures on the screen. Can we show me the first slide there? There are, are five hamburgers 
on the screen. Four of them are actually hamburgers. One of them is cake. I'm going to give you a second there to, to look. I want you to, to come up. Again, it's from a distance, but it has to be a bit from a distance. Otherwise, it might be too easy. I want you to think which one of these numbers is cake. And I'm going to count to three. And I want you to tell me your answer all at the same time. Again, I'm good at this. We've done it before, right? Okay, which one is cake? Three, two, one. There we go. Some of you guys are right. All right. We're going to look at what's the, what's the answer? Give, give us the, the next slide here. That is cake number one, be, or uh, burger number one being cut into is actually cake. But look at how realistic that is, right? I mean, you have to get close. You have to cut into the middle in order to maybe tell for sure which one is cake. So many times... So many times in church, I think we, we know what's expected of us. We know what we should do. We want to put on a brave face. We want to, to, to put on a facade. We want to put on a mask. We want to just keep things nice and neat and tidy. And if we live that way, we don't have true Christ-like community. We have something that looks like it from the outside. But in the middle, I don't know, it's cake. Whatever else you want to define it as. It is not the genuine article. Community doesn't happen with church growth strategies, tons of programs, fake smiles, and empty handshakes. It happens when we take intentional care and love towards one another. Let your love be genuine. Well, the second phrase here that I want to draw out of Romans 12 was, it was this call to seek to show hospitality. Hospitality was critical in the Jewish culture of Jesus' time, especially for those, again, that were traveling from place to place, took a long time to walk everywhere. You'd often find yourself uh, needing shelter and food. Or maybe you were someone whose husband had passed away and you could no longer fend for yourself and you required someone to take you in. It was not just about having someone over for Sunday lunch. It was something so much more important than that. We often don't have some of those same needs right in front of our face, even though they do exist in our community. And, and so we, we think of hospitality just as having people over. But even that definition is one that I think is becoming a bit of a lost art today. I'm always amazed at how many significant connections can be made when you have someone into your home and simply share a meal with them. Though I do think it's funny, I, I kind of had this chuckle when I was at the fundraising banquet for the Steinbach Christian School this last month. I thought it's always kind of funny to me how we dress up really nice and invite people to come and share a table with us and, and it's all decorated and then the first thing we do is just open our mouths and shove food in and start to swallow and digest it. I'm like, what? It's so weird when you think about it. Why do we do that with food? But there's something significant that happens when we eat together, when we break bread together, and especially when we invite someone into our home. The question I'd ask you today, when was the last time you hosted someone in your home specifically hosted somebody from church and invited them in and said, hey, let's get to know each other a little bit better. I think we need to continue to seek to show hospitality. That's one very practical way that we lean into making sure that this community we want to build doesn't happen by accident, but it's intentional. And then thirdly, um, in verse 16, we see that Paul says, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not be proud, but, but, but have, have time for those that, that are lowly. Now, I think this is one, one lesson or one mark of a true Christian that really is highly contextual. Because in Roman culture, there was a very distinct social structure. There was a hierarchy. 
there was all these different levels, and you knew exactly which level of, of, so, of Roman culture you belonged to. And so there's no accident at all that Paul is writing this letter to the church in Rome, the very seat of this power, the seat of this culture. And, and what is amazing is that the church of Jesus Christ was the only place, the only place in all of Rome and Roman Empire in which a high-ranking Roman official and a Roman slave, a non-citizen, could come together and for at least that moment of time relate as equals. It just wasn't done. You did not have anything to do with people that were beneath you on this dictated social structure. It couldn't happen. But it would have to happen in the church of Jesus because, as Paul also reminds us, in the community of Christ, there's not male or female, slave or free, Jew or Gentile, we are all one in Christ. And so this wouldn't have been a very natural or normal thing if you were somebody who especially was, was someone of wealth and power and authority in Rome and you became a Christ follower. It would have taken a lot to, to put all of those preconceived ideas aside and to actually put yourself on equal footing with, with others who were beneath you, according to some, for the rest of the time that you lived. This was not something that would have felt natural to the Roman church. And so they had to work on this in order to maintain and to achieve this Christ-like community. And so we're not talking about people who are lonely, somehow lesser than. We're talking about uh, uh, this true equality that exists in the church and how Paul needed to encourage them, no matter who you think you want to relate to, make sure that you are relating to everybody and treating everybody equally and everybody fairly. And I believe today we can paraphrase this to say, do not be overly comfortable just hanging out with those who you already know and like and appreciate, but instead associate and spend time with those on the margins, those that are new, those that may come from a different culture, those that are SBC students that are here today and may not be with us in the years to come, those who are not normally in our circles, those who, who come in and maybe don't fit the mold of church. Make sure that we don't just stay in community with the people we already know and love and appreciate. Make sure, as far as it is up to you, that no one will step foot into our church and feel lonely in a crowd. Associate with everyone. And if we put these points together, I think it leaves us with a challenge. I would encourage you to consider inviting a family, and a family could be one single person or a family of eight or nine, who you have not connected with at church for a long time or at all, to come over for a meal or for coffee or for dessert. So prayerfully consider and think, who have I not seen in a long time? Who have I talked to in the, in, the, in the foyer but haven't had the opportunity to really get to know yet? And invite them over. And if you're a newcomer or you're just wanting to integrate into this community, I would say, as, as scary as it is, be willing to take the first step. If you want someone to invite you over, don't wait for them. You can invite someone to your house first and then let them return the favor. And I know especially for those who have had a, a poor experience in church community before, it's hard. It's, 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 a, it's a sore subject with you. You feel raw with it. And it can make that even more difficult to take that first step, to put yourself out there and say, I want to initiate community here at this church, but I encourage you to do so. And for those of you who have found your place here and you have your friends and your small group and you're comfortable, make sure that you extend others who are starting to come to our church that same opportunity that you were given all those years ago. And when we both do this, then we start to build this intentional community.
community. But all of this, all of this has to ultimately tie back to our relationship with Jesus. And I would say that connection is part of God's design. It's not just, again, this human need that we see that we somehow have to fill. It is part of how we've been created by God. It's part of how we have been designed to even relate to him. Our relationship with God itself is not outside of our relationships with one another. There's plenty of examples of this, and I want to uh, draw your attention to 1 John 1, verses 5 to 9, where I think we can see this at work. John writes, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light... As he is in the light, we have fellowship with... Okay, I want to pause here. If we're reading everything so far, what we expect to hear is that if we are walking in the light, we will have fellowship with God. But that's not what John says. He says, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is an important passage because it says that that being in relationship with God is all about the work of Jesus. He cleanses us. He forgives us of our sins. He makes it possible for us to have a relationship with our Creator and the God who loves us and sustains us. It all begins with Jesus. But as we trust in Him, and as we have this relationship, it is not just an individual relationship between us and God. If we have fellowship with Him, if we have fellowship with the light, therefore we also have fellowship with one another. So as we truly unpack God's design for our relationship with him, we understand that it must include our brothers and sisters in Christ. God is holy and he's perfect. He's, uh, sorry, God is holy and perfect and without sin, and we are not. The blood shed by Jesus cleanses us so that we can enter into a relationship with the holy God. We always have that relationship. And as much as we are designed to thrive in church, your relationship with Jesus is all that you need. Meaning this, because of what Jesus has done, you are never alone. You are never alone. Because of what he has done, the forgiveness that he gives you, the the unconditional love that he offers to you, you are never alone. And so if you've ever read any of Paul's writings when he's in prison, or some of these other uh, people of faith who have been in prison, completely cut off from everyone, they have found the truth of having all that they need in Jesus. And yet this relationship with Christ that has all that we need in it is also designed to include those around you. It includes those around you. It shows that our relationship with God has always been designed to include others, to include the church community. It's not just about what Jesus has done for you alone. It's more so about what Jesus has done for all of us. He has cleansed us as a community bringing us into relationship with God and holding us together in relationship with one another. So I'm going to invite the music team to come back up. We we were talking about community, and that's such a big subject. There's so many other things that we could have highlighted and talked about, but I think that the groundwork we laid today from God's word is crucial. Because the Lord has told us that two are better than one, and to take that to full measure, we want to have as many Christ followers uh, connected to us to help us when times are tough. We've been reminded that that we need to be intentional about building this type of community in our midst. And we have also been told 
that even if you have had a negative and hard church experience in the past, it is worth giving church a second chance because God has designed your relationship with him to include those around you. Let's pray once more. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for the price you paid on the cross. The truth that we've been reminded of, that the blood that you shed for us, the penalty that you paid for us, washed us clean. It cleansed us. You have forgiven our sins. All those things that we have done that we shouldn't have, those things that we have not done that we should have, God, you have cleansed us and forgiven us of those so that we can be in relationship with you. God, I pray that as we continue to dig deeper into who you are and what you've done for us, that we would just look to our left and to our right, to those around us, and make sure that we see brothers and sisters in Christ. We see family, and that we work towards expressing our love for you and our genuine love for them. We pray this in your name. Amen.